Welcome to In the Envelope, a podcast from Backstage, the number one resource for actors and talent seekers. I am your host, Jack Smart, awards editor at Backstage, and I'm here to guide you through every aspect of the entertainment industry with the help of some of your favorite stars. These intimate, inspirational conversations with today's most award-worthy film, television, and theater artists provide you, dear listener, advice on how to live the creative life, personal stories of success and failure alike, and maybe, just maybe, a tantalizing glimpse in the envelope. I want to employ the whole being of the person. So I'm not just asking like to do my lines and put your hand here and all this kind of stuff. Like I'm sort of like, what do you think? Or what do you feel like is wrong? Or what do you feel like, well, what they do here and like whatever feels real and alive to them, that's where I'm gonna go, you know? We're diving in here. Casey Mink, welcome back to the podcast. Hi, how are you? Thanks so much for having me. Honestly, this is probably the quickest return I have ever made to the pod. Ah. I am honored. I was just here not too long ago, like what, six (laughs) weeks ago, to talk Tonys, and I'm back to talk Oscar contending. This makes you a regular. (laughs) Wow, am I a friend of the pod, officially? (laughs) Oh, friend of the pod we've only ever referred to as like the guests, but maybe at this point, yeah, you're a a guest. I'm not not Sarah Snook level friend of the pod. (laughs) (laughs) Tony Shalhoub level. Uh, Um, You're not in contention for a SAG award or an Oscar or a Tony? Yet. Yet. There we go. Yet. Well, thank you for helping me introduce today's guest, who is, uh, listeners, the voice you just heard is Mike Mills. I kind of asked Casey here today because we both love Mike Mills, and we were just gushing about his his new movie, which comes out uh, this week, called Come On, Come On. Casey, what should listeners know about this movie? It is a basically a three-hander. I think that's mm-hmm. fair to say. I mean, there are certainly other characters that make appearances, but it is pretty much a three-hander Starring Joaquin Phoenix, Gabby Hoffman, and remind me of this incredible Woody child. Woody Norman. There is a child actor in this film who I would venture yeah. to guess is a newcomer. Pretty much, pretty much, yeah. Um, who we were just saying before we we rolled, uh, yeah. gives what I do believe to be the single greatest child actor performance I've ever seen <laughs> in my life. He is so adept at acting that... First of all, it feels like he's not acting at all, but he is making choices in this movie that inform the choices of his co-stars, which is very standard for adult performances. But Mm -hmm. usually when I watch a child actor, even if they are, I've seen many talented child actors perform on stage, on camera, Mm -hmm. but you always sort of feel as though you can just tell that the adult actors are supporting them and caring for them in a really Mm -hmm. lovely way, but you don't feel any of that here. Yeah, he drives the the movie. He really drives the movie, and he it's just, it's a remarkable performance. And And it sort of mirrors, like, a central, I think, message almost in the movie about, like, this movie I think is about childhood and about treating children with respect or, like, listening to their inherent wisdom, the kind of wisdom that kids have that adults don't. So it's fitting that the child actor in this movie, 
you can really sense that it's Joaquin Phoenix and Gabby Hoffman who are responding to him and adjusting their styles even. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. And I mean, you asked me to, you know, describe the movie and I completely didn't. I just started talking about what I loved well, about it. But I mean, it isn't the, the most plot heavy film. Yeah. It's basically Gabby Hoffman is mother to this boy and uh, Joaquin Phoenix is her brother. And Gabby Hoffman has to go sort of deal with a personal crisis. So um, Joaquin takes this boy into his life. He's a documentarian who lives in Chinatown, New York. What, what, my neighborhood? Oh my gosh, it is a documentary about your life. There you know, it, it kind of is. There's like a very prominent scene set in a skate park that I used to live across from that Crazy. ruined yeah. my life for a year. But, <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> um, but right. yeah, and you just see it's this sort of slice of life, you know, a few weeks where Joaquin steps into a, a guardian role of this young boy and it's, it's moving. It's extraordinary. I also would say it's like, um, it kind of is about America and America today. Um, yes. It's in that it's set in Los Angeles, uh, Detroit, New York City, and then New Orleans. Yeah. And we should also mention that featured in this movie are these not scripted. This actually is a true documentary I was wondering. Aspect I was wondering. Of, yeah. And that was the very first question I asked Mike Mills, of course. You had to. These chi- these children, I was going to say child actors, but the point is they're not actors. They're actually responding to real questions about the state of the world today. And that audio oh. is intermixed throughout the story. And it's, I mean, Mike says that the audio is a character in the story. And I agree. This is why we wanted to talk to Mike Mills, because I think his, and the other extraordinary thing about him is he's only made four feature films. Yeah. Some of my favorite performances of the last decade or so have yeah. all been Mike Mills movies. I'm talking about Christopher Plummer's Oscar-winning performance in Beginners. Yep. Um, the Oscar-nominated screenplay for 20th Century Women featuring an extraordinary Annette Bening. I mean, there should have that movie should have received a lot more accolades, oh, yeah. but when you have women in the title, you know, people, award <laughs> shows get a little spooked. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oops. Ooh, it just got a little spicy. This is why we keep well, having you on the pod. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> no, and so, of course, I think that I think of Mike Mills as a, an actor's director. So I think that he fits into yeah. this podcast and the kind of mission of Backstage really well because, of course, he's going to have something to say about, like, how to give a great naturalistic performance. For sure. And how to be really a great actor, not just in a Mike Mills movie, but in any movie. Well, we should also say that he is also a screenwriter, too. So a Mike Mills movie is not just directed by Mike Mills. He writes them, too. And I think he, I would would say that he's also, it rolls off the tongue less smoothly, but also an actor's writer. Like, I I think about, I have to say it. I Googled it before so I could have it perfectly word for word in front of me. In 20th Century Women, when Mm -hmm. Annette Bening is talking to Greta Gerwig, and, you know, Greta Gerwig has taken her son out out against her, you know, knowledge or whatever. Uh-huh. And Greta Gerwig's like, are you are you mad that I did it? And she says, you get to see him out in the world as a person. I never <laughs> will. I think about that all <laughs> the time. That's so extraordinary. I think about yeah. it all the time. And also thematically, a lot of overlap there with this film. Come on, come on. Well, and that's the other thing that we should mention about Mike Mills's writing is that it does, it has most often come from a very autobiographical place. And so this interview, I think, covers really the process, the whole process of storytelling from inception all the way to filmmaking. And he put it really well where he kind of talks about the levels of artifice that are built on top of the original idea to the point that it becomes something else through each stage of production 
That's the magic of acting. Isn't is I was just gonna say, isn't that the magic of of filmmaking, really, or I guess you know any sort of performance based yeah. storytelling, where it's like at some point the writer has to hand over mm. their thing, and yeah, you know what? In that's an, like the illusion in an ideal world what they've written on the page becomes so much better once an actor puts it through their sort of whole, you know, being and digests yeah. it. And then the photosynthesis of it all, I guess, you know, yeah. and then it's like, now it's this weird sort of amalgam of like what the writer wrote and what the actor perceived and then what the director ultimately wants to sort of mold that clay as. Mm-hmm. God, we're such nerds, but like such this nerds. Is, this is the best nerdiest, uh, exactly. But like, this is why I love filmmaking and films so it much. It really is, and that brings me to like everything you just said um, is also very much the topic of a lot of the content on Backstage.com and in Backstage Magazine. Yes. We're going to link in today's episode description, listeners, to our directing specialty, which basically just means like anything you could possibly want to read about in terms of features that is talking about directing. You can find that there. And Casey, I want to put you on the spot and just ask, uh, remind listeners, you know, (laughs) what are the features that we have that feature um, behind the camera talent? Yeah, so we have two weekly features. Uh, The first is our Meet the Maker feature, Mm -hmm. which is um, interviews with writers and directors, mainly across film, TV, and theater, now that that's back. Mm -hmm. Um, And those are sort of profiles about their career behind the camera, but also... Uh, how they do what we're talking about right now, work with actors and sort of where those Mm. two um, roads intersect. And then our other weekly feature uh, is called The Essentialist, which is interviews with those, quote unquote, below the line, which means those behind the the camera who are not the main writer and director. So Mm -hmm. um, designers of all sorts, you know, production designers, costume designers, but also people like... DPs who are working so closely with that director, you know, and lighting designers who are working so closely with the DP. Um, so, And also, of course, all of those interviews sort of include a little bit about how all of those specialties are related to the actor's performance and how, you know, they work with actors to ultimately reach that final product that you do see on camera or I guess, you know, on stage. Going off of everything we just said, uh, I'm also going to ask you to shout out this week's uh, Backstage Issue, which of course we've done on the podcast before, but I feel like this week is especially exciting. Yeah, well it is. I mean, <laughs> you're we're talking about directors because the print issue of our magazine this week, the November 4th mm-hmm. issue, um, is our annual director's issue. Annual, yeah. Annual, yeah. And on the cover of that issue is a long, long overdue <laughs> profile with... Uh, the man himself, Lin-Manuel Miranda, who, of course, you know, wrote wrote Hamilton, wrote In the Heights, but he's on our cover Mm. because he is making his directorial debut with um, Netflix's Tick, Tick, Boom. Excellent. So we have a really deep dive interview with him all about directing, but also, you know, of course, writing and just, you know, creatorship (laughs) across the board. Basically, you know, advice for doing Anything and everything. Um, And then also in that issue we have in that Meet the Maker slot, we have she's amazing and I and she's so chic and has a French last name and I'm going to butcher it. But Julia de Corneau, the director of Titane, uh, a movie in which a woman is impregnated by her car. (laughs) And it's a wild, wild movie and it's amazing. And Mm -hmm. it's going to be a contender this year as well. 
Uh, and then in the Essentialists vertical that week, we have an interview with a director named Patricia Regan, the first and only Latina to uh, have a film in the top 100 box office. Yeah. So we talk, we go deep with her about, um, well, the fact that that's true and, you know, representation exactly. uh, behind the camera. So exciting uh, issue and all of those features really will exciting. additionally be online. Casey, thank you so much. This is such an exciting director week. Yeah, it really, it really. Enabling us to nerd out. I love when we get to do this kind of deep dive nitty gritty being absolutely geeky about this absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. We love it. And like you said earlier, a lot of this content, a lot of our backstage content is of course geared towards actors of all career levels who are looking to advance their career. And so a lot of this content is is geared toward um, figuring out their relationships with all of these different roles or with directors, for example. But I will say a lot of the recent stuff that we've been promoting is also for aspiring filmmakers. It's also for early yeah. career director writers. And definitely the the director's issue in that content that we just ran through sort of veers more towards that, which is really exciting. Super exciting. Well, thank you, Casey. Thank you. I'm so excited to myself listen to the interview with Mike Mills. This podcast is, of course, brought to you, listeners, by Backstage. Listen, aside from all the great inspiration and tips and all of that stuff we offer for free, like this amazing podcast, Backstage also gives you access to incredible casting calls all over the world. That is why it's the world's number one casting platform. If you're curious or if you're an actor yourself and you really want to jumpstart your career and you're ready to take the advice and the inspiration you've heard here in this very episode and use it, go to backstage.com slash subscribe and enter the code ENVELOPE. E-N-V-E-L-O-P-E. That's, again, 30 days completely free to try backstage where you can make a profile, upload a headshot, upload a reel, start browsing the casting notices, and start applying to jobs because who knows, maybe one day I'll be interviewing you. Again, that's backstage.com slash subscribe and enter the code ENVELOPE. Mike Mills is a screenwriter and director best known for his award-winning feature films Thumbsuckers, Beginners, and 20th Century Women. Originally a student of art whose film school became collaborating on music videos, Mike began turning elements of his life into autobiographically inspired movies like the newly released Come On, Come On from A24, starring Joaquin Phoenix and Gabby Hoffman. Here with advice for writers, directors, and actors is Mike Mills. Um, Mike, how are you today? Thank you so much for, for making the time. Yeah, happy to be here. Um, congratulations on Come On, Come On. I think this is a very exciting film to be talking about, especially with us backstage. We are all about the craft of acting, but also the craft of filmmaking. And I'm going to ask you for all of your deep, deepest, darkest secrets. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any secrets, but sure. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, I always ask, we've spoken to a lot of uh, actors, but also the writer-directors, um, the biggest question is the, always the starting point. What, why, why are you in this line of work? What is it that you love about filmmaking? Well, the reason I got into it probably at the beginning and the reason I love it now, I've, I've shifted a bit because I've been doing yes. it for a while. Great. And, um, you know, at the beginning, I went to art school, right? And, and I kind of went from there to graphic design. I was trying to get out of the art world because this seemed too rarefied and too sort of 
fancy, too wealthy, too preaching to the converted. And I, but I still love mm. and art influences me almost more than anything. So um, it was to be out in the public, to be sort of in the entertainment world. And I saw like Errol Morris's Thin Blue Line and I saw early Jim Jarmusch films. And somehow in there, I was like, maybe there's a place for me. Maybe this is where I could go and kind of put everything I'm interested in together. So that's like when I'm 27 and I'm 55 now and been doing it a lot longer and have, mm. have become like a writer director. And my weird answer now um, that I'm kind of realizing myself is yes, of course, I, I, I love other films and I want to be like them or whatever. I want to be at the table. I want to, I want to, they make me hungry to try. Right. Um, and then I have these like personal stories I've been telling which are very meaningful to me. And ultimately, are they personal or not? I don't know. I, I'm, I'm confused. But the real, the, what keeps me in it is the people. Like by the, by the time I'm done with a movie, I'm pretty sick of it. Like I've seen it like literally over a hundred times and um, everything, you know, I, I still, I, I, I love all the things in the movie, but it, it's hard to watch. You don't watch it ever again. It's gone. Sure. It's gone from your life. But what I get is like all the people and the first is like the crew and the actors who usually I become very close with. And it's really meaningful to me, these kind of like friendship relationships. And then like the audience or, or journalists, like uh, it's like a very complicated way to make friends for me. That's what it's become. Or just meet and people. A, and it's like, a, it's for the purpose of, it's not like you are trying to build a community. This is just something that is happening. Well, when you're making a film crew, you're building a, a community for a time and it, or a yes. family. I always call them film family. So the come on film family, I always start cool. my emails to that group. Um, um, but, or it's like joining community, being a part of the world, like just communicating with people. Um, it's not something I take lightly or for granted. And I'm really, yeah. I've noticed more and more like, what am I really getting out of this? What is, what's the pleasure for me? And one of the surprising answers is the people I meet. <laughs> yeah. Almost more than the film product itself. Yeah. It's so not a solo effort. And if it were, <laughs> you wouldn't last yeah, as long. I'd be doing graphic design again. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So how, to, uh, speaking of like going back to the beginning, how was, how are music videos the way in to all of this? Well, okay. So I didn't go to film school. I just went to, I went to art school. Right. And then I had some friends like Lance Accord, who's a great uh, cinematographer and director now, and then uh, Spike Jones a little bit, and just some other people. And I was learning by hook and by crook, you know, like how to how to get into it. Um, and I'd come out of like a very conceptual art kind of art school, where it's all about your ideas and how to realize your ideas, mm. and you can work in any medium. Um, and my teacher is this man named Hans Hacke. He's very sort of celebrated. German conceptual artists. And it was a weirdly good film school because all of your, ah. the whole crux of it is what is your idea and how are you going to execute it? Weirdly, music videos have that same game because you're competing with like four, six other directors and it's an idea contest. Gotcha. You know? So you write a treatment and it's, and, uh, and it's like, that's what gets you the job is if they like your idea. And I was, I was influenced by like Spike and Michelle Gondry who did, Either like a there's there's some kind of story or causality going, or it's not just a collage, right? It's it's like a Rube Goldberg, or it's there's a one two three four to it. So so it's getting you on the road to like 
storytelling. Yeah. Um, and I like that kind of music video. So my, my music videos really, I still, I don't know. I think they relate a lot to even what I do now. Hmm. Uh, and I, it was how I learned. It was my film school. That yeah. and like Kim's video in the East Village. Those are my, those are my actual film schools. It's so cool because I, I think there's the film school route is the, I would, is it safe to say the biggest and most obvious route for an aspiring filmmaker? But your path is, is proof that there are far more, far more paths, far more options. Yeah, I think at least, at least my gener- my age-ish type people, I'm, I'm, I don't know. It's like joining a pirate ship. There's, I don't know how many people went to a film school. There's like a uh-huh. lot of people, a lot of people didn't or got into it from very different ways. And that's one of the great things I find about like film crews, film life, film, actual film production world. It's yeah. very difficult and it's very hierarchicalized. It's very professionalized. It's very like, you know, it's very, you can't mess up. You can't be, you know, there's no slouches allowed. Right. Sure. But it's also, it's a pirate ship. Everyone on that ship is, comes from some kooky story. <laughs> there, it, there's not like MBA degrees going into filmmaking. It tends to be like a ragtag fleet of heroes, you know? And, and I love that. I still love that. It, it's a very weird group of people that really want to shoot films all the time. Yes. I love the pirate ship. Yeah. Mm. This learning about the production, and I, I guess we can call it the craft side of things, that quote unquote film school, does that also apply to like how the industry works, the more career or business aspects of your job? Were you learning that in the music videos? Sure. Well, the, but then there's like different careers, right? There's different mi- micro capitalisms, right? So, so I learned like yeah, yeah. I learned like the video one, and that's a whole game. There's the you know, there's you have a relationship with the band, you have a relationship with the video commissioner, you have a relationship with the who and how and what, and all the politics of when getting your idea, getting your idea approved, how to talk people into your ideas, or just whatever contextualize your ideas in a positive way, and how mm. to present them, yeah. how to how to do all that. That's definitely a lot to learn there. That's not just like action cut lenses, yeah. lighting, all that stuff. And it's actually really important. I don't, and at least my day, no one talked about that very much. And it's, it's essential yeah. to know how to represent yourself. Um, and then, and then you get out of that, you kind of graduate into ads and ads are like a step harder. Okay. Just because there's more money, it's not like they're better or anything, but there's kind of like more, you're about, I don't know, they're harder to get. So you had to start all over again and learn that game. Advertising, okay. you just need client, your own rep, so this whole world. And then you kind of get good at that. And then you're like, oh, I want to make feature films. You have to start all over again, like an agent. Yeah. You know, like, how do you get financing? What's that whole world? And, and that's an endless story that I have my version of, but it's only four films deep and there's, so many other people really know so much more about it. My my version of like Mike Mills and capitalism is a very it's a very small island. You know, it's like I go there not too often, and I figured out a way to do it. But the, I I am I'm fascinated when I talk to director friends who have much more ambitious careers. I'm like, how'd you do that? You know, oh, that's so different than my deal. You know. Yeah, I'm fascinated by how filmmakers have different rates of producing films. Yeah, no, it's like, it seems to take about five-ish years. I wish it took three. That sounds ideal. I'm saying that to the film gods. That'd be great. There you but, go. <laughs> but I'm also, I'm not like, and I'm in our, and I, bugs me, I talk about in therapy. It's not, it's not like, a, I'm not excited that it takes five or six years. I, okay. I really wish it was shorter. I wish all that. But on the other hand, the f- 
people don't need any more films. Like it's fine. You know what <laughs> I mean? And, and it's such a huge opportunity and such a huge privilege. And you're taking such amount of space of like mm. cultural space. And especially as like a middle-aged white guy, like the world's fine. The world doesn't need a ton more Mike Mills films. The world will be just fine. And I'd rather Interesting. not make myself depressed thinking about that and just mm. let them come. The other thing, the older I get, the more I honestly feel, and like Fellini always says this, is like, you're not in control of your films. As a, as a writer-director, people think that you are. You're not. You're like oh. dealing with the universe and the cosmos. And uh, it's kind of like a spiritual way to look at it, but I increasingly believe in it. The films have their own sort of like psychic powers and they cool. summon different people, opportunities, mood situations. And it's like inviting this like ghost into your life and they don't listen to you or they kind of listen to you if you're lucky. So I don't feel like I have control over my career, what am I gonna do next, how it's gonna go, all that. And that's a good thing. Well, it's just what it is. Just, it is what it the, is. That's the plant. I wish I had more control, but you don't, so it's kind of silly. You might as well accept that you don't. It's more empowering to figure out how to dance with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's a skill, right, to learn that. To That's yeah. part of the skill of learning all of this. It's like, by relinquishing yeah. control, I might end up having a little bit more, get closer to my vision, maybe. And you open up doors to a lot of powers, I feel like. Mm. If, you, if you're like, understand the game that way. I really highly recommend Fellini's interviews, like the Fellini on Fellini book. Great. Like, yeah. I find it um, so magically helpful. It gives you so much oxygen room. He's such a permissive, lovely, funny, deep person. Mm. And um, I adore him. And um, like, I literally have a, that book on my bedside table and like a Pima Trojan book. And I don't think they're that dissimilar. They're actually cool. both about like, you do not stand on solid ground. How are you going to move forward? Like, yeah. you know, you can't control anything. And, you know, outcomes are completely out of control. And what are you going to do? You know, like, how are you going to move forward? Yeah. Yeah, no point trying to deny that. This is a tangent, and I've just, we've just never talked to someone. I love so tangents. Much. I'm totally into tangents. Perfect. That's all I'm into. Good. Yeah. And it's, but this is also like, it's going to show my ignorance about filmmaking, but like, we've never spoken to somebody so versed in music videos. Um, how did you learn sound? Isn't the point of directing a music video that you don't have to actually worry about sound? I've done music videos with sound, um, with like dialogue. Um, sure. So, but you don't learn a lot. So I learned about sound doing short films and then getting into my features. And I think sound is one of the last, for me at least, it's the thing that I'm latest to learn about or, or whatever. I didn't, I don't know. I'm always dissing sound. <laughs> and you oh, should. dissing it. Oh. Yeah. Or whatever. Just not giving it its due props. Like I'm always, I'm a visual really? person first. Yeah. So I'm like, get the mic the out of my shop please you know like I'm, I'm that director I was I was I was gonna say come on come on is not that no no come on come on I'm different by that point and right. um and I just and obviously that movie like sound was a character in the film okay, so you cool. had, had to kind of pay Ugh. attention to it and and on um, Amanda Beggs is my sound mixer onset sound person for 20th century women and on our first days of shooting that film, I, I barked at the boom person, which you never should do. It's just bad, bad form on my part. It doesn't help anyone feel good. It's, it's not right. And she just stormed out to me, at, I think at the end of the day, and she's like, that's not cool. You can't do that. You need us more than you understand. Sound is incredibly important. And, and you're blowing it by like having this attitude. And I was like, you're right. <laughs> like you're, 
You're very convincing. And uh, yeah, exactly. Thank you for saying all that. And she changed me a lot. But I'm still visual first. I, it takes me a beat yeah. to make room for sound. Yeah. and you're- It's easy. I think a lot of directors do this. Like, because... Like you just feel like, ah, sound, get out of my way. Don't don't stop me from rushing through my day. And sound was like, yeah, there's a helicopter about, you know, way over there. And oh. I'm like, ah, I just want to shoot. So it's really easy to <laughs> to not give sound the importance it totally deserves. And black and white. Yeah, I guess. Black and white sound is so much more important in black and white than it is a color film. Really? Which I didn't understand. Yeah. Or it's okay. just black and white absorbs so much sound it there's so much sound in my movie. There's so much foley. There's so much background layers. There's so much production sound. And I don't know what it is. I'm sure it's someone smarter than me can explain it. It's almost as if there's like a neurological situation going on where the when the color channel's gone from your brain, you want more other stuff where the sound becomes the color or something like that. Wow. Extraordinary. I had not thought of that at all. And sound is so much more subconscious, right? It's so much more playing with our subliminal reactions as an audience. Yeah, sound and music, right? It's very, yeah. um, it's very energetic, and I think it's the more powerful art. Actually, it's the more linked to magic art. I think so too. Yeah. Well, and I think there was something about this movie where, like, one of my very first questions when it ended, I remember thinking, "I want to know what is the deal with these." interviews with these kids mm-hmm. they are not actors correct yeah they're not actors and they're just real interviews that joaquin and molly webster did with kids in, in each city and we um often would shoot like an interview in the morning or at the end of the day because woody's hours are kind of short like our you know our oh. film features like a child actor nine ten year old actor so we would and it had like a huge influence on the vibe of the whole set because uh, when you're doing documentary, obviously you're like way more cautious. You're not like, I'm going to go change everything. You're like a visitor in someone's house and you're asking very serious and sometimes very vulnerable making questions to this kid who's not like an actor, right? Yeah. So it just kind of, it steeps you in a different kind of awareness and sensitivity. Then I, I feel like kind of this kind of melded in or bled over into our narrative filmmaking practice as well mm. and obviously in the film once you get to those interviews it really just changes the whole textural quality of mm. the i don't know like the space between the film and the audience or something mm. and yeah did you know from the beginning that those would be interwoven like yeah what, what was the initial idea i guess what was the initial idea for this whole story because in my mind it could have been the kid interviews this idea of interviewing kids across the country mm-hmm. or is it was it these kind of three main characters? Mm-hmm. I always like to have too many ideas, so I, of course okay. I went with both. Um, okay. Um, let's see. So I had done a project like this in the past where I interviewed like a group of people and ask them a similar question, right? And you kind of cut across their answers. So I've done this like three or four times, and I've always really loved it. And I did it once with kids, younger people, who whose parents all work in tech companies in Silicon Valley, right? So I just interviewed the kids of the tech workers about the future. So similar kinds of questions and similar kind of answers. Like it was very kind of dark and some ways super perceptive, Mm -hmm. super knowing. 
And it, it just got my attention and I always wanted to do more of it. So at the beginning of this writing process, I'm like, okay, you know, a lot of this, this comes from me having a kid and me being a dad and my kid and things my kid says and does and feels. So as usual, I, re- I do like to really draw off real situations that I've like seen. That's okay. my favorite kind of writing space. Like, and sure, I, they, as you start writing, they, they leave reality, whatever, they get fictionalized or they yeah. get bent or they get woven. But the seed is really from reality. They're, they're, they're hard for me to understand. Like people say like, is it autobiographical or not? And I'm sort of like, I don't know. I don't yeah. really know anymore. I'm a little confused at what they are. Um, like you said, that magic of filmmaking that is out of control, it takes on a life of its own. Yeah, that's for sure true. That's for sure true. And then we have the actor part of it. Um, wait, where was I going? Okay, so I knew I wanted to talk about my kid, right? I knew I wanted to talk about hmm. that really intimate, really close relationship between an adult and a kid and just all that it means to try to take care of someone hmm. and to be needed and to need with this child person. Yeah. It's very vulnerable-making kind of intense situation. So I wanted that in, intimate crucible, whatever you want to call it. Mm. And then I also wanted like an opposing force. Now it's just like the world at large because like having a kid, you're off, you're put to the task of describing the world and its inequities to this young person. And you've never and, had to do that before. Not like this, not in this personal way. Right. right and not right. with so much on the line and not in, de- in like, I never been as aware of like capitalism <laughs> or like racism yeah. or American history as when you become a parent, right? So I kind of wanted that spectrum, like the hyper intimate to like large. And I was like, oh, right. When I first like kind of make a film about this, what would the film be like? What were the elements? So early on, I was like, okay, right. Intimate, uh, these two figures, it's almost like a fable, kid and Mm. adult person. And then like almost like a choir of just like all these Uh. other kids talking about the world. And they're almost like the setting for the film, like the, consciousness setting of the film that my two characters are sort of walking through. Mm. And I kept having this image of like these, these, the little figure and the big figure like walking through space. Actually, I just found this. So this is how I started. That's maybe how I started in the movie. I can't quite remember. This is this the drum. Like, actual just, beginning inspiration of the movie. Yeah, I was kind of like playing around like, and I'm just seeing like the little figure and the big figure, you know? And they're always kind of like going through big, like going Wizard of Oz-ish, like going on this journey, you know? So. Does it, has it started with sketches for your other films? Like, again, it's, it's about the visuals for you. I think I was trying to copy Fellini a little bit. Like he, or just, or David Burns. I read about David Byrne doing True Stories. And it was just all drawings that he put together. Okay. And so, and like, while I'm really proud to be like a writer director, I, I take that. That's the hardest part of my job or that's the, I don't think I'm a great writer. I'm a great, I, or like not thinking I'm a great writer is really helpful to me. And okay. I think it's true. It's not, it doesn't come naturally. It's not like, um, I don't know. It's not easy. Let's put it that way. So I'm always trying to find any way to get going. And the beginning's the hardest part. I have to really convince myself this is worthwhile because it's going to take five, six years and, or whatever, <laughs> just, I'm going to get, even if it goes really well, you're gonna get deeply criticized by someone very smart in like the New York Times or the New Yorker or something like that. Oh my gosh. And so and so like like okay, 
you know, what, what am I willing to sacrifice a limb for, you know? And so that's, so that's coming up in the writing process for you or the, the initial inspiration process. The fear, sure. Fear of failure or fear of, is very public. Yes. It's so public and you get like, um, it's, it's all fair game and you get written about, (laughs) you get taken personally, you know? Yeah. No. Um, so, so I absolutely, or also just the, um, who, you know, like the audacity to think that the world needs another film by you right. is, um, something I really struggle with. I mean, it's good Put to hear. Way. I think, and of course on this podcast, we're all about advice for the early career writers or directors or aspiring filmmakers of any kind. Yeah. And I like asking about the doubts and the... Oh yeah, no, there's tons over here if you the want The ways to overcome them, yeah. Like it's almost there's like what you doubts. were saying earlier about like embracing the lack of control. You uh-huh. also embrace the inevitability that there will be doubts, the inevitability of criticism, right? Uh-huh. This is part of the, the gig. I don't know if the word, I don't know if it's embrace, but like, uh, <laughs> uh, yes. whatever. You had to, you had to, um... Yeah, I don't know if the word is embrace. That sounds too winning and successful. It's more just sure. nego- or like negotiate. yield to it, like maybe surrender to it or like... Soften to the contraction, as they say in birthing class. Um, oh my gosh, Something like yes. that, maybe. Yes, you are birthing <laughs> something, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, okay, really what, it, what I'm actually saying is more like I had to talk myself into it. And so I do it with like hmm. some of these ideas or some of these lines or things like like my love of Fellini, right? I just like, I got a draft off of him or mm. I, I have these like relationships. I always call them these non-consensual, um, slightly abusive relationships with all these living and dead filmmakers who I don't know at all. Yeah. <laughs> like, I draft into my consciousness as like company, you know? This is just for the writing part. Once I meet the actors and the crew, it, it shifts and like we become pals. And we then become, it's an actual family, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and that's a lovely, super essential part. And, it's, and especially the, there's something, there's like this really beautiful, for me, um, transaction where I like, I bring this very personal thing, right? And it is very, very, at least the last three movies, like very, very personal. But then I give it to them really freely. Like cool. it's yours now, or it can't just be my thing. So you like, how's this, you know, what's getting under your skin or what's your real reaction? I, I thought it was going to be, embarrassed at the scene oh i think you should be angry oh angry is really interesting what how, why angry you yeah. know like so there's so much of that going on and that kind of stirring that kind of exchange or like the relational nature mm-hmm. of the content creation i do find to be like a really profound fun thing totally and i love you just touched on this this idea too of like it starts as a personal seed and then there's these layers of fictionalization isn't casting part of that? Oh yeah, that's the, probably the biggest one because it's yeah. you're you're choosing. You know, for me, especially like I want to employ the whole being of the person, right? The actor. So I'm not just asking yeah. like to do my lines and do my and put your hand here and all this kind of stuff. Like I'm sort of like, what do you think or what do you feel like is wrong or what do you feel like? Well, what they do here and I'm really I'm really most like whatever feels real and alive to them, that's where I'm going to go, you know? So if it's something completely different than what I anticipated, I'm almost, I'm usually kind of excited because I know it's like I'm on to yes. something, you know? It's so and, good to hear. And anyways, it's like their, it's their body, it's their 
psyche, heart and soul and timing and history. And so the, to me, the films are like, they're just portraits of these people, you know, yeah. like, and, uh, like my, usually my films are actually like a portrait of someone in, in my life, but then they become like a portrait of like Joaquin and Woody and yeah. Gabby, you know, I feel like, and I don't feel like they are, I really don't, it sounds bullshitty, but I don't really feel like they're my thing. Like when I'm in the edit room and I'm editing a performance of theirs, I don't feel like, oh, that's mine. I feel like, you know. But the process of it starting as yours and becoming someone else's is not clear cut. It's not overnight. Right, very iterative. It evolves. Yeah. yeah, no, all the way through and all the way through the edit. And then it even keeps changing, I would say. Like I had a funny yes. experience, um, Beginners with Ewan McGregor, and I would very proudly walk around going like, yeah, he's not playing me. I told him never to be me. I told him, you know, just do his own thing and don't worry about that. And Ewan's sitting over there and he goes, oh, I totally ripped you off. I totally like that, you know, <laughs> the way he walks, the way he's, his posture and certain things and the way he talks. I was like, oh, okay, that's funny. So, yeah. um, so the exchanges, it's iterative, it's fluid. It's sometimes it's this, sometimes it's that, right? It, it uh, changes. Uh, and then as a director or writer person, one would think you know everything about your movie or how the movie you shot, what it means or what went down <laughs> and you don't. And um, you know, from set romances to when an actor thought of this or that, you, you actually don't know a lot. Mm. Yeah, because it sounds like the, I mean, the Ewan McGregor example is so key. Like what you're saying is actors are the authorities on their character and whatever he's doing to get into character, create this person is totally up to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you've yeah. said too, like you told us for 20th Century Women, you spoke to backstage and said, Dorothea, the character is based on mm-hmm. my mom, but Dorothea is Annette, Annette Benny. Yeah. Yeah, it's really it's true. that and same idea where like, we don't know exactly at what point it becomes a portrait of, in a weird way, Annette Benning. Yeah. It does. Yeah, and that's, yeah, that's really interesting. And obviously Christopher and my dad, my dad is not Christopher Plummer at all. Sure. But they have this, I have to do some therapy or something because I even don't ex- understand exactly what that whole relationship is because, and maybe they're just cast well. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say patting myself on the back because like Christopher does remind me of my dad Hmm. and Christopher is completely different than my dad. Yeah. So I don't know if this is Christopher's born in 33 and my dad's born in 24. There's just enough, you know, Yeah. Christopher with his sort of like Canadian international vibes and my dad with his American pretensions, sort of enough, like really similar. My dad is art historian. Christopher's sort of an art historian. Like Christopher knows so much about art and takes art as like, not just his craft and his job, but as like a holy situation or something like that. Sure. Well, yeah, it just comes back to like what that thing you said earlier about like, you're not dictating, you have to say these lines in exactly this way. It's, I think it comes down to respect for the actor, which isn't necessarily commonplace on sets mm-hmm. or in Hollywood, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or I think like a lot of, if me, because all us directors who aren't actors, we're all muggles, right? And we're dealing with all these like witches and warlocks and we don't know really what to do, you know? <laughs> and and they're scary and they've got all these powers and we're often kind of intimidated or yeah. shy or just whatever. Like they're just so much more charismatic and their electricity is so much brighter, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's it's um like, I think 
it's hard to understand or whatever. It's just a different world. Uh, the more I work, the more I'm like, that's my favorite part. Like just from the first lunch with any actor to the whole process, I learned so much about my life. I like myself more around actors. Like I become a little less muggly. I become, my intuition oh. like gets heightened. My, I become slightly more Roman um, as in, <laughs> as in like a Fellini person. Like, and I, and I, I love a blind lunch. You never know the person before and you laugh and you cry and tell them the deepest, darkest secrets and, yeah. and you share stuff like that. Like I do enjoy that space. And I really, what they do it's such a codependent relationship. I can't do what they do at all. Mm. So I need them so bad, especially Ugh. me, because my, my whole thing is like people and people's interior lives. Yeah. So so I, I adore them. I adore working with them. I, I adore really the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not I'm not like um I've worked with a lot of actors become directors, right? Like Greta or yeah. or Gabby's really a director, I feel like. Mm. Um and Joaquin could be like Joaquin's mm-hmm. really such a good smart filmmaker brain and I'm all, I, I'm like you have it made like you yeah. like if any of you want to just direct all the time you have the secret weapon and that you experientially know about acting mm. you mentioned therapy is this work therapeutic it sounds healthy it doesn't sound uh, like uh, well, <laughs> you're leaving like, each experience sapped or yeah anything. I feel like there's a relationship. Um, like it's similar kinds of like themes and things. Like for me, at least my movies are always about like, kind of like how, how feelings and emotions and ideas get kind of transferred from one person to another, or like how, what you inherit from your family or and by family it doesn't have to be like biological family. How, what do you inherit from your primary relationships? And, and to me, it's, everything's like relational. Like how, how does this person make me understand me and, change me and all that. So that's a, very much like the space of therapy, right? But huge, very important point. Therapy is therapy <laughs> and filmmaking yeah. is filmmaking. They're really different. And they're not like when I was doing beginners and it's like, oh, your dad's dying. Or the scene where your dad dies, right? And like, or, or the scene when it's that your dad's told he has cancer that's going to kill him. And Christopher, someone would be like, you okay? And I was like, oh, f- yeah, I'm making a movie, man. Like, I this is like great. I want to make this movie so bad. I have no problem with this scene. And it's also like you're getting to fly the plane and control every aspect mm. of it. I say which table, where it is, what the lighting is, blah blah blah. Mm. So it's like the opposite of life, where when you learn that your dad has cancer, everything is out of control. And it's in this yeah. horrible space, and you can't hear them, whatever. So it's like revenge on life in some ways, and that you get to control everything. I love that. <laughs> yeah but it's not therapy it can't be therapy no. if it was therapy it would be like i mean obviously it's very meaningful and that's what sustains me so that's different than like it can be emotional but not sure sure it's all emotional and and i yeah. cry a lot when i'm making a movie mostly just because i again i'm like i'm like just very immersed in whatever the actor's doing but just okay ideologically it can't be therapy it, that would f- you up and then two it just isn't. It's so fun. It's making a movie. It's like, yeah. it's like if you always wanted to be a pilot, you get to f-ing fly an F sixteen. You know, it's hmm. it's like you're on that kind of a ride, not like That's a therapy cool. ride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we've spoken, of course, to actors on this podcast who, like, I feel like to be a great actor or, or many great actors can somehow really separate the personal and the quote unquote professional and sink into these emotions and these circumstances, and then still be healthy mm-hmm. and 
it's just interesting that that be healthier, be healthier, even even healthier. And it's interesting that that question applies to you as a filmmaker, because no, you're not there in front of the camera exacting these emotions in that way. But I guess every director does, even though, even the ones not working autobiographically. Well, hopefully, right. Maybe. Yeah. Or maybe not. There's a million ways to different do it. Um, I've done some film, short films and different things that aren't so autobiographical. I thought, I, I just like, there's something emotional about being on a set and like watching an actor do like something really real, like mm-hmm. where they're going to a place where it doesn't feel like indic- indicatory, is that a word? You know, it's not just like sure. telling you what to think kind of acting. Yes. Um, so mm-hmm. then that's like a real processy experience. Um, <laughs> what was I going to say about that or something else? I'm going to take processy experience. That's a great phrase. <laughs> it's named my band. Yeah, it's, yeah a, exactly. it's a free jazz band. Yeah. yeah. I'll, if well, I remember, I'll come back to it. Yes. And you mentioned improvisation and I have to ask you about it. Like, can I ask what to you is naturalism in, a- mm. in acting? Because you just mentioned the idea of an actor doing something really real. Mm-hmm. What does that mean for you? Yeah. Like, what does it mean for you to read like a, a, a critic or a journalist call your work naturalistic or documentary like? I don't read anything, so I, uh, I, don't <laughs> okay. that. I don't have that problem. Um, well, it would be different for every actor, right? Well, obviously that would be different for every director, different for every audience person. There's some, you, I'm sure you've all, whoever's watching this has had this problem. Like, I love that film. It was so real. And you're like, what the f- are you talking about? That was the most fake, phony thing I've, I've ever watched. Sure. No, it was so real, right? So... <laughs> So we're talking about dreams and magic, not facts and and anything objective, right? Yeah. So this whole conversation is like, what the hell? Um, <laughs> uh, to me, what is what is naturalistic acting? It really is different to each. It's really different to each actor, and it's also mm-hmm. kind of like again, what the film summons, right? And this film definitely did summons like a really for, for me the most kind of layery, gossamery. Uh, nuancy, not needing to be pointed a finger at kind of yes. world. Mm. I'm sure I, I'm sure I have lots of room to grow there. But um, um, uh, and these particular actors really all like Gabby, Joaquin, even Woody are very suspicious of acting. Right. I think okay. I, 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 can, talk, I can see I'm, that. Uh, not you know very intelligent all of them are super super smart smarter than me four out of five days you know and um so for them my naturalism would be avoiding knowing what you're doing avoiding Hmm. delivering a message avoiding obviously avoiding like cliche world but that's too cliche even just that (laughs) that's a cliche um but um they love being thrown in situations which they feel like they're responding to something that's happening, you know, and to always yeah. be responding, not driving, reacting. but like reacting. Yeah. yeah. And I think like, so Woody and Joaquin had this like really beautiful thing where like Woody's very smart, has like a comeback for everything. Very funny, like has a real sense of self and isn't like performing for the camera somehow. I don't, I still don't really understand how deeply he knew that thing. And I think maybe it's his mom, Vonda, or being European, UK, I don't know what. Like, um, But so Woody would, 
even if he's not like improvising a line, he just his way of reading my lines or his his choices are always kind of unpredictable, you know. Mm-hmm. And Joaquin learned really quickly to just just wait for Woody and ah. just respond to whatever Woody's doing, you know. Interesting. And I think I think he or at least I've heard him say that when we're doing press side by side and yeah. and um, he attuned to that rather than dictating the tone or something, yeah. Or like feeling like you know, like a lead actor needs to drive the scene, you know. It was and. And then that's really nicely kind of like the story of the film, right? Like listening to a kid, not because it's like cute or interesting or they need your help, but because you need their help or whatever. They're an equal. They're developmentally different. They're in a different stage in life, but they're not less than. Mm. So hopefully that's what the story is sort of about. Yeah. And I feel like as Joaquin really intuitively, naturally moves like that. Just with anyone. And same with Gabby. Like, they're just, they're, they're again, it's like casting such a trippy thing. You think you know you're doing it. You think you have all the reasons. A week into shooting, you're like, oh, you know, like I had no idea why this was really the right person. And, and they're showing me, like, oh, wow. Um, or who knew that Gabby and Joaquin would feel so familial? And they do, like, off camera. Exactly. Off camera, they argue, they razz each other, they, they're, they can't stop giggling they're and they're give each other shit and they all of a sudden they just talk a mile a minute i can't get a word in edgewise and it's like um i don't know i had a sense that that might be true yeah um, but i didn't know or I, I don't know why you're banking on actors ability to c- convey like a communal backstory which always to me is so miraculous when two actors who've never met show up on set one day and are like yeah <laughs> Brother and sister, they just are. Yeah. Well, and do you know the story? Like they didn't meet until that scene where he no, walks through the really? door. Really? So they each. So I like a lot of prep, and I like doing like a lot of experiential Jeez. improvisatory rehearsals. But Gabby's like, you know what? I don't think I should meet him until he comes through that door. And Joaquin said the same thing. So I was like, wow. Being being a Felliniite, I was like, well, okay, the film gods are talking. Yeah. So they didn't meet. So Joaquin just did like radio interviews as prep and hung out with Molly and they mm. sort of developed their relationship. Cool. And Gabby hung out with Woody and Scoot mm. and they did stuff. But then, and so after the audition, Gabby and Woody never saw Joaquin until they came through the door. And if you watch the scene again, look at Woody's face. Cause he's just like, ah, like he's, yes, he's tripping hard. And so, um, wow. And so how, so how do the improvisations work? What is the policy around improv? So, I mean, this, the script is very written and, and like me and Joaquin wrote a lot of it or Joaquin, you know, it was like reading it with Joaquin then Joaquin asking a question, Joaquin having an idea, not even just about his character, about other characters and stuff. And he, I found it to be such a fun playmate and it was, and it was such a good thing because we're reading it. So it's like a different kind of process. It's more experiential. And, and so there's like, so like when people like, what is that? Right. <laughs> That's not improving, but like some of my favorite things came from like, like Joaquin was talking about, oh, I just, this woman in my life who's a mom was just talking about how sometimes she can't fucking stand her kid. And it's because she loves him to death, but she can't stand him. And he lives her life just going from one task to another, to another, to another. And, and now I bet you hate me. Right. Because I said all that. Right. <laughs> And, and, uh, and you know what you should do to that kid? You just give him some protein and tell him to take a nap, right? Like, so, and, and I was like, oh, that's really good. Can I put that in a script? And, and he's like, sure. And, I and see. so I asked him to kind of paraphrase what this conversation he was having, what he was talking about. And I kind of wrote it down. 
and you give it to Gabby and Gabby loves it because Gabby's a mom or Gabby gets it, right? And so Gabby is saying probably like, I'm gonna guess it's like 80%, okay. like my written words are like 75, 80%, right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of true for like a lot of the lot of the scenes. You know, I'm gonna guess it's like 75% my words, but it's always my structure, it's always my scene. There's, yeah. there's only a couple things that were like kind of straight up improvising. Um, and, um, but that 15, 20%, whatever it is, 20, 25% of, of invention is disproportionately impactful. Um, and if you think about it, so they're, they're improvising that much all through all the stuff. So the stuff I pick in the edit, right, is the best stuff. Mm-hmm. And is the stuff I pick in the edit, is that writing or not? Interesting. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm not trying to make myself more of a writer than I am, but I think like if you have like an, an open understanding of what writing is, um, I don't know. That's an interesting question. Um, right. um, and anyways, it, it, even if there, so even if there's a scene that ends up getting cut, there, there's no improv. They were improving a little bit here and there when we were shooting. Yeah. So they all have to like really listen hard or they're bringing their whole yeah. humor consciousness to the scene, right? Or I'm inviting it. And also just that sense of freedom. Like you don't have to stay on these railroad tracks, like go wherever you want, you know, or totally. if you go off and they're, and they're all so smart. They don't, they don't just like go off and not come back. Right. So, so all the scenes, it's usually like, you know, it's like line, you know, like you have a line, I have a line, you have a line, I have a line. So they'd always stay in that cadence and the lines are saying the same thing. So even when they're improvising, they're saying just a different version of the line, right? Gotcha. Um, and often they're, and I'd be curious, we could do this little test. Is there anything you remember from the movie that you want to know is improv or not? You can I ask me. I absolutely have. I have so many of those moments. There's okay. Way too many more for this, the length of this interview. <laughs> ask me one. I invite you to ask me one. I'd be curious. Well, I know. will say, I think my favorite moment of the film is when they say goodbye. And it's this... Which I'm one? Like, which part? Maybe gonna cry talking about it. Um, <laughs> in, New, in New Orleans, which which goodbye? In New Orleans, when they're saying goodbye, and she's come to pick him up, and so uh-huh. he is. It's sort of like he's it's winding up, like he's about to hit a like a hit a baseball. Yeah, is how I see it in my head. Where like Joaquin starts to do a bit, and it's one yeah. of the bits that he's d- developed with his nephew. Yeah, so that was and written. he sort of launches into it, and the bit is is how they're gonna say goodbye. Yeah, the only on the weekend, is that what you mean, like the screen time? Do you mean like only the, uh, so uh, protein every two hours? Yeah, well, I just remember the moment where Woody then, he then cuts him off and just says, and hugs him and says bye, and that's the end of the, yeah. of the bit. He's like putting yeah. it to sleep. Yeah, yeah. So, so Joaquin saying what he was saying, you know, giving protein every two hours, um, screen time only an hour on the weekend. That's all written, right? Um, and, and that was the idea of this, like, a goodbye that's like, wait, what? They're gone? You know, that was, totally. that was, that's the intention of the scene. And that's very Ugh. much like childhood. Like, what? You're gone? You know? So, but I didn't tell Woody exactly how to like interrupt him and mm-hmm. i didn't tell them like so what happens is woody goes in the car and joaquin keeps a hold on his hand right uh-huh. i didn't tell him to do that so that's mm-hmm. just them but then all the and then i love you i love you bye that's all it's all written so but the i don't know if that answers your question so it's like a, totally. a combo interesting combo player but i often find the things that they do that surprise me or whatever mm-hmm. they they're really leap out right sure and there's plenty of surprises that didn't make it into the cut, too. That's the other thing you have to remember. Totally. It was like probably 10 takes of that scene. Like you're saying, if anything, the improv is more just for the purpose of getting everybody loosened up, trusting each other, 
on the listening same page. to each other yeah 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 and i love this idea of like you can go off the rails but you got to come back like it's not following some crazy improv down the line and you don't even have to say that to these actors like these guys exactly. all they don't they're afraid they're afraid of improvising like just bogusy improvising mm. so they're they're not doing that amazing if you want to ask me another one i like this game I do too. Give me another one. I mean, again, the the kid interviews were like, I just thought, I just thought, is this scripted? This is amazing. Yeah, those are um, all totally real, totally whatever, unscripted. What about um, when he says "Don't worry" and she just laughs? She just gives out this exasperated sigh of a laugh. Yeah. So <laughs> so don't worry is written, uh, but the way she laughed, no, her laughter wasn't wasn't like. Gabby laugh or Viv laughs, right? Reacts like, by doing this, yeah. Yeah. So and then him laughing back, right? Yeah. That's where it gets really good. They're ha 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 ha. That's where Ugh. sibling sibling juice, whatever mm. you want to call it, like sibling yeah, sure. texture texture yeah. is felt, and that that it's, that yeah. was choices that they made. And it says so much about parenthood in that one that one moment. This is also awesome. Mike, thank you so much. Sure. I, everything, a lot of what you just said, we have to ask you about auditions before I let you off the hook. Sure. How much of what we just described of this process also applies to auditions? Like what should an actor auditioning for you know? Huh. Uh, for <laughs> me in particular? Yeah. Um, um, well, I, I, I improvise a lot in auditions because you, you as a director person or whatever, you just learn a lot about that person really fast. Like gotcha. their humor, their their intelligence, their whatever. It doesn't matter how accurate to the character is. This is like speed dating. You gotta just yeah. kind of get a feel for someone's instincts and as a collaborator. World. Yeah. Yeah. And then Woody Woody has advice for everyone, and that is don't perform for the camera. Like it's such an easy thing wow. to, to think about. But like Woody turns away all the time, goes off screen, um, looks at his feet, never never shines for the camera, at least for my kind of world. That's so great. That's like yeah. half of it, you know, if you can just ignore the camera. Um, and then always, I think people try to do too much. I, and mm-hmm. I would too. I have a lot of sympathy for an actor in an audition. It's like, how can you not try to yeah. like win everyone over? And if you can let go of that, hmm. it's like dating. If you can lose the date before you walk into the restaurant, you're probably going to be more available mm-hmm. than if you're trying to like conquer the date the whole time. Right. Well, and it's sort of what you said about like Gabby and Joaquin being these people that are ultra charismatic, like isn't part of the trick just trusting in your own charisma in the audition room or on set or whatever. Yeah. Or it doesn't even have to be charisma, right? Just, yeah. Just, like you're enough. Your own right? self. You're, you're enough, right? You're enough to do this. That's great advice. Or you're not enough. You're not enough. And that's cool. That's cool too. Okay. You know, like not enough can be rad. Not enough can be a great place to start from. But I think most mostly you're enough. You're enough is a great thing. It's not like you're complete or done or whatever, but like you have enough to do this. Yes. Wait, so when, by not enough, by not enough can be okay too. What does that mean for the for the early career actors? Like harness your own insecurity in the audition room. If that, maybe if that's what the character. Means. I think a feeling like, or just feeling like, um, oh shit, I'm nervous. Yeah, oh use shit, it. I'm super self-conscious. Yeah. Oh shit, I feel um, inferior, bad, weak, whatever, right? So don't try to have those things not with shame, just with like yeah. 
that's cool. You know, like that's what this piece of wood looks like today. And so, um, mm. um, I think that's power mm. and half of any performance is just kind of like finding power and yeah. that, and yeah. Wonderful. Um, do you get asked, uh, advice for writers and directors? Yeah. And do you have a, <laughs> a number one takeaway? Of course you've touched on it, but like, is there one thing you wish you had known earlier in your career? Oh, that it's not easy for like all these amazing people. That would, that was interesting Great. to find out like writing, uh, it challenge or, or the people who find the writing, like I got it. I nailed it. Are usually people I'm like, yeah, um, I'm not so into your stuff. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so many people who I'm like really admire. Yeah. They totally struggle. They never master it. I remember I, uh, Spike Jones. So Spike, uh, and this is more directing question, but I was doing my first movie. I was having a really hard time. And I was like, Spike, oh, does it get easier next time? And he goes, no. No. I was like, what? It doesn't get easier? It's like, but you, it's like you've done more films. And he's like, yeah, but each film is different. Each film has its own like beasts and demons and good things. And so, no, it's not easier. I was like, oh, f- that is such bad news. Uh, but it's kind of, it's good to know not to take it personally. Yeah, it's another sort of like going with the flow, surrender to that. Like, just know that that's inevitable too. Mm. Don't fight it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I talk, you know, like often you get asked this with students, right? Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if there's students listening to this. Totally. But um, it's like that enough thing. You're, you're enough to start. You don't have to wait for anyone. You don't have to wait for money or stuff or mm. someone to say you're done with film school or whatever. You're enough yeah. to start trying to have your voice or say your thing or whatever it is. And that's, totally. um, um, and it doesn't mean there's going to be tons of failure, humiliation, <laughs> boredom, sadness, frustration, all that. That's just <laughs> life. That those, those, all those words shouldn't have a negative connotation. That's just like different vitamins inside your apple that you're going to eat. Yeah. Ugh. I sound very preachy and very spiritual. That is exactly as what we love to hear. As if, as if I know. Every sentence should just have a little subtitle as if this guy knows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and this is, I mean, I'm about to make it even cheesier, but like, is the notion that everybody has a story to tell for, you know, for the early career aspiring screenwriters who don't know what to write about mm. as someone who's written about your life, is it true that we all, we have a screenplay in us? I don't know. I don't, that sounds like, then if you don't do one, you fail somehow. <laughs> you know what I mean? Very true. Um, sure. Um, mm. I don't think it's a job for everyone at all. Yeah. And and good to know that. And there's yeah. so many other rad jobs in the world. It's it's not all it's cracked up to be. Mm. I'll tell you that right now. Like I love it more than anything, but it's not like it's not without its it's not without its problems. And it's hard. You're the first one in and the last one out. I'll tell you that right now. And no one it's not like you're the you're free employee number 1. So you're you'll you're just the most exploited person on that set forever. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, here's my my fear. If you say everyone has a story and they should write their thing, it's like it's just going to be the the dumb white men that get up and go like, "Yes, that's me. I need to have a story and put it sure. out in the world." And uh, uh, all of us entitled peeps, yes, mm. I I should. Um, and you don't have to have a story, but I do feel like um, this thing of like waiting for outside validation is yes. always, always, um, always 
always a hard road. Or, or if that becomes too much your thing, that is going to stop you from growing or whatever. Yes, that's great. And it's important to grapple with the privilege part of that and the, the opportunity. And of course, the being empowered to write your own story does come down to privilege. Mm -hmm. It's a huge privilege, right? Authorship. And we want equity. I mean, in this industry, we really want everybody to have this opportunity. So I, I think anyone can be inspired by the insights that you've given us here and by the advice, which as always with advice on this podcast, take it or leave it. People take it or leave it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're not holding you to your word here, Mike, yeah. for everything that you're... <laughs> <laughs> but I do feel like it's, it's just a real truth of our world and our land and our history. Yeah. Is that certain people who will go nameless, but they include me, um, have been <laughs> trained that you do have a story to tell and you should yeah. try. And it, you can be mediocre or great, and, and but it's your stage. And obviously, um, it's interesting to have a reckoning with that and yes. try to acknowledge that truth. Totally. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Just acknowledging it is a good step, I think. Yeah. Uh -huh. Thank you so much, Mike. Um, we ask everyone one last question. What is one performance you think every actor or filmmaker should see and study and why? Oh, my goodness. I mean, there's so many. That's such a funny one. There's so many different ones. There's that guy, Buster Keaton. I was gonna say, um, Buster Keaton's been watching this whole interview. He whispers in my ear the whole time. Um, <laughs> Buster, any Buster thing I find cool to have so much of filmmaking in it. Mm. Um, I guess because mm. they were kind of inventing it as they went and the way that Spichalba's early stuff was in his own, he was a writer director, he, he was a producer. The way that they worked, where they kind of improvised during the day, they made up stories as they went. So I feel like there's like so many of the building blocks are just sitting right there. Oh. And he's, he's an amazing, magical performer. And it's just very fun when you, when you know that's how they made the films. Yeah. You know, like they kind of invented it as they went. Super cool. The storyline. I just find that, I find that liberating and, and fun and interesting. Hmm. I mean, it's, it's like, that's for everyone to figure out their own answer to right i love casablanca i watch casablanca all the time okay i love mr fellini i watch that all the time i watch just like 10 minutes of it and it's like some kind of food you know mm. um those are all very pretentious answers but um those are excellent answers yeah i also love, I like i love drunk history lately i can't get enough of that oh same yeah yeah, yeah. like the the really crass up recreations you know yes. like I, oh my god i love those so Whatever. The acting in Drunk History is incredible. It's this next level lip syncing. It's amazing. Yeah. 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 It's something really magic about that mashup that happens with those yeah. parts. Yeah. Talk about natural, talk about documentary filmmaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what the heck is that filmmaking? Yeah. 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 Uh, Gosh, thank you so much, Mike. This is so great. You've, you've illuminated everything. so much. Everything. Really. The whole world, really. I mean, this is it. That's all you need. Yeah. yeah, filmmakers, but also actors are really going to get a lot out of this. So thank you. Oh, cool. Um, hello, everyone. Yeah, exactly. I hope you did. I hope you did. <laughs> totally. Yeah. In the 
Envelope is recorded at Lotus Productions and Hyperbolic Audio in New York City and Soundbox LA, Mark Rouse Studios, and Buzzies in Los Angeles. Thanks as always to our producer extraordinaire, Jamie Muffet, and to the team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit Backstage.com, and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage by using the code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. That's right, 100% free. For more exclusive content, join us on Facebook and Twitter at In The Envelope, and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Who would you like us to interview next? Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another glimpse in the envelope.